Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. We're talking about God. God is God and how God decided to create. And I want us to think it's not in terms of any necessity that he did this. It wasn't as if he was up in heaven saying, you know what? I sure do need to get my hands into something. I need to meddle with someone's affairs. I'm sure I'm lonely up here, so I think that I'm just going to create. No, it wasn't out of any necessity that God chose to do this. Why did God create? The best answer we can give is God created simply because He chose to do it. We have been making our way through Matthew, and so I want us to continue to do that today. We're going to be in chapter 3 again. And so if we're going to do our diligence today, and what a perfect opportunity that we had today. We just read a little bit in our Baptist faith and message. Baptist Church is going to continue to hold to, continue to make it known. And if you want to know more about that, you can visit it online and find, just type in Baptist faith and message 2000, or you can stop by the church office and we'll be glad to print you a copy or give you a copy of the Baptist faith and message. So today we get an opportunity then to look at what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if John begins his ministry by saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then Jesus begins his ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then we must endeavor, if we're to be students of Scripture, if we are to place ourselves under the authority of the Word of God, then we have to ask a question. What on earth does the phrase mean, the kingdom of heaven? When we hear this term, kingdom of heaven, what do you think of when you hear the term kingdom. Now you may think in various ways, many different circumstances. You may think about a land. You may think about some throne. You may think about some crown. There's all kind of images that come when you think about the term kingdom. But let me tell you what the kingdom of God refers to. The kingdom of God refers, listen carefully, to the forever reign of God with His people as their king. Now that's important. The kingdom of God refers to the forever reign of God with His people as their king. So He's over, but it's not as if He's the only one reigning. And there's a lot in that statement. That's why I want you to write it down so that you can remember it. The kingdom of God refers to the forever reign of God with His people as their king. Now, the kingdom of God, listen carefully, it is both a present reality as well as a future hope. Now, you've got to understand that before we move forward. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, John the Baptist says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I see those two terms as synonymous, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. I know there's some debate about that, but we'll just sum it up today and say that those two things refer to the same thing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does it mean? It means that it is a present reality as well as it is a future hope. So let's read the Bible today in Matthew chapter 3. And I want to read the whole thing just so we can get a glimpse of what's going on. And then we're going to look specifically at verses 13 through 17 today. So listen to the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, 
The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jeremiah and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Our God, we love you. And Lord, today we're having technical difficulties. But Lord, there is a message that needs to be proclaimed, a message of the forever reign of your kingship and your glory realized to us in the Son through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, give me the diligence as your instrument. Use me for the sake of your good grace, for the sake of your manifold glory. Help it to be clear. We pray that you would turn our hearts to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today from Matthew chapter 3 and really on into Matthew 4, this whole section of Scripture, I want us to look at four aspects of the kingdom of God. If this message begins the ministry of Jesus, then we need to know from the Bible what in the world is the kingdom of God. Four truths this morning from this passage about the kingdom of God. Number one, write this down, God is king. That's foundational. That's important. Not that God is becoming king, but that God is king. If you and I were to go back to the very first pages of the Bible, it's a reference that you can write down, the very first page of the Bible. The Bible opens with a God who chooses to be known. Never forget that. He makes His free choice to be known. Matter of fact, if God did not reveal to us who He is, 
If we did not have the Bible to tell us, then we would be left to ourselves wondering. We would be worshiping trees. We would be worshiping rocks. We would be worshiping dirt. We'd be looking at the sky, thinking that we could see the glory of God in the sky. But when we say that, we wouldn't have a clue what we meant if God did not reveal Himself to us. And so the Bible opens with this God who chooses, makes a choice to be known. This God who, listen, eternally precedes creation. This God who is altogether different from creation. That's important. This is why we worship the Creator and not the creature. This is why we worship the God who created things and not the creation itself. Listen, God is not eternally a Creator. But in His infinity, He made a choice to create. So the only thing that we know about God before He chose to create is that He has existed eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit in a trinity. And we know that God is love. Other than that, we really have no idea. God is trinity, and we know that God is love. God is the one in the beginning He's making decrees. The Bible says it. He's the one saying, let there be, and guess what? Things appear. From nothing comes something. How does it come? It comes all at the Word of God. And so everything responds to His call. The stars begins to shine when He calls to them. The rays of the sun begins to shine. The waters roar and foam. The first rose begins to bud and blossom. And that first rose was probably thornless, by the way, but we'll have that conversation a little later. All because God decided to create. The Bible tells us this story in such a way that there is absolutely no doubt in our minds of how awesome He is how majestic He is, how great He is. And if we're reading Scripture then, uh, the first point that we have on the screen to us should be really a no-brainer. Obviously, God is King. Of course, He is King. Because the Bible says that He is uncreated. The Bible says that He is independent. The Bible says that He is self-existent, self-sufficient. He stands in need of nothing outside of Himself. The Bible says that He is altogether perfect, altogether worthy of every one of our praise, all of our adoration. Matter of fact, that's just the beginning. All that we can give Him is still not enough to match His infinite greatness. And so what does this mean? Plainly, here's what it means. It means that there is no one like our God. There is no one like the God of the Scripture. And this is why Isaiah says in different places, because He is who He is, listen carefully, He will not so quickly give His glory to another. It can't be done. This is why you can't half-heartedly follow God. Either it's all or nothing for us. What's the greatest commandment the Lord said to us? What is it? Love the Lord your God. How? Half-heartedly? No. With everything that we are. Why is that? Because He is who He is. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is holy. He will not give His glory to another. He is worthy of worship. He is to be trusted. He is to be obeyed by us. And even right now, even right now, God is moving all things towards His intended end. You know what we call that? In Christianity, we call that hope. 
Listen, that's hope that you can believe in. By the way, doesn't that sound like a great political slogan, hope you can believe in? Well, that's the message that we proclaim every day from behind this pulpit in churches everywhere. There is a hope that transcends the affairs of this life. There is an eternal hope that no one this side of heaven can offer anyone. This is our God who is moving everything to His intended end. And that end is going to find itself in Christ alone. You see, Jesus comes into this world. And He's coming with a declaration. And that declaration is that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what He comes to say. And such a declaration really makes sense not only when we understand that God is king, but when we see what happens next in the story. Our second point concerning the kingdom of God. Not only is God king, but number two, the man who is a creature who was created, man has rebelled against his kingship. Man has rebelled against the kingship of God. And so think about everything that we've learned so far in Matthew, from the genealogy, from the virgin birth, to the magi worshiping him, all of this stuff, from him going down to Egypt and coming back now, he's getting baptized. All of this is telling us about the way that he came. And all that's been done before his baptism, as well as he's going to do after his baptism, is going to tell us a great deal about how you and I Yes, how you and I fit into His universal reign. So if we go back to Genesis again, and we think about the story that we have in the first three chapters. Genesis is so foundational to the way that we understand our world. This is why it's the first book of the Bible. That's why it's named Beginning. Because it's the core of everything that Christianity is. So if we go back to the very first pages in Genesis, we see God created, but He created everything beautiful. He tells us so with the way that He looks at His creation. The Bible says that He looks at His creation, the works that He made, and what did He say about it? He said it's good. The things that were made for man, He uses a different phrase. He doesn't just say that they're good. He says that they are very good. And listen carefully. One of the works of God was mankind. What did He make them for? He made them to worship. He made them to obey. They were to be the ones who were to make things with their hands as well. But they were to make things with their hands as an offering to the God who lovingly made them. But instead, what do we see? We see mankind taking the freedom that God gave him. Instead of making things and adoring God, they make things and adore the things that they made. And so they rebel against the very Creator who created them. What was unthinkable, what was unimaginable for us if we see how great God is, what is absolutely and utterly futile happened. Man rejected the kingship of God. And so we call mankind's rejection of the kingship of God. We have a word for that. You know what it is? It's called sin. Sin is any time you and I reject the rule of God. And this is why we say that it's futile. This is why we say it's utterly pointless to reject the rule of God. Because listen, even though we reject God's rule, we do not absolve ourselves from consequences. You see, there's many who believe in something called unlimited or ultimate free will. 
I believe that we have very limited free will. Oh, I believe we have free will, but the will that we have is limited free will, and here's what I mean. We have the power of choice, but we do not have the power of the consequence of the choice. God has decreed. God has set forth a standard. The standard that He set out, obey me and live. Reject me and die. Rebellion against the sovereign creator of the universe does not come without a cost. And the Bible says it this way. The wages of sin is death. And that story is repeated about the rejecting the eternal reign of God. That story is repeated time and time and time again. We look out in our world, and what do we see? We see a world that Jesus has come into. The angels have sang from the hillside that night in Bethlehem, peace on the earth, goodwill to all those whom God is pleased with. But we look outside our stained glass windows, and what do we see? We see anything but what looks like peace on earth, don't we? And it's not just true out there. It's true in your experience. It's true in mine. When we willingly neglect to have our thoughts engaged with the God who is. When we willingly neglect to worship Him. When we willingly and uh, within our own strength choose to run towards things that are contrary to Him. When we choose to sin. You see, not only do we see the consequences everywhere, but we can just look outside and see that everyone shares an experience that everyone knows. And it's not just sin, it's death. Everyone dies. The Bible tells the reason why everyone dies. The Bible says the reason for all death is rebellion against God. Cancer is not God's intended thing. Cancer comes as a result of the twisted chaos that has been brought into this world by rebellion. Death occurs because of the twisted chaos that has been brought into this world by man's rebellion. And here's the good part. Jesus has come in the middle of that chaos with a declaration. And that declaration is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we want that. We desire that. We desire for God to bring His glory to us because we are desperate for something better. I love C.S. Lewis. I love one of the quotes that he says, and he says this, If I find in myself nothing in this world that satisfies me, then I must assume that I was created for another world. And how many of you are there? Nothing in this world satisfies you. I'm there. Have you ever had those days and weeks where you just feel like you're going through the motions? Day in and day out and one more day, another Christmas, another birthday. Oh, you should be happy. You should be excited. And you should be because God has given you that space to make Him known and to know Him. But here's the good part. All the good that we have in this world, and there's a lot of good, is just a dress rehearsal for something better. 
a dress rehearsal for a kingdom that our God is bringing, a world that He is bringing to us. But right now, all men everywhere are under the condemnation of the law, and therefore everyone dies. But the Bible says something else. It says there's a death that is worse than death that we need to avoid. There's a second death, and the only way that it can be avoided is through God's redemption plan. And before we get into the good part of the story, let's remember what we know so far. God is king, but man has rebelled. And here's the best part of the story. God is a good king. God is a benevolent, loving, kind, just, patient king. Man's rebellion brought death, disease, and disaster to the earth. But, and here's the good part. Are you ready? No scheme of man can ever stop God from being king. He is king. And His kingdom will be both everlasting as well as ever-reaching. It will be everlasting as well as ever-reaching. And this is why Jesus comes the way that He comes. Jesus doesn't come shielded from death. He doesn't come shielded from disease. He doesn't come shielded from disaster. He comes right in the middle of our chaos. And even in our text this morning, what's he do? Here John is. He's coming to be baptized. We hear that all of Judea is coming out to John. And then all of a sudden, here Jesus is. You know what he's doing? He's standing in line waiting to go into the river to be baptized by John. He is numbering himself with the transgressors, even though he had no transgression of his own, even though he came to do more than just be numbered amongst us. He came to redeem us. He came to take us from our lowest. You see, he descended to where we were so that he could take us to redeem us to be back with him. He came to where we were, so that He could redeem us where we were, instead of leaving us down there, He came to our lowest so that He could bring us up to His highest. Number three this morning. And this is the good part. God is King. Man rebelled. We remember number one, foundational, God is King. Doesn't matter what mankind has done. The rebellion didn't change any of His kingship. The rebellion just simply meant disaster for man. Number three. Because God is king, God pursued man to redeem. And this is the awesome part of the story. Where we see Jesus coming in a particular way. And look how he came. Matthew tells us. Matthew chapter 1 tells us. Matthew chapter 2 tells us. How did he come? He came, listen, out of choice. Not out of His necessity. Listen, this is so good. Not out of His necessity, but out of your necessity. He came for you. He came for me. You know what we call that in church? You know what we call that? Grace. And we just sang about it earlier. Not just grace. Amazing grace. It wasn't out of any necessity. It was out of His choice that He came. He is King. 
He is self-sufficient. He stands in need of nothing. But here's the good part of the gospel. He has chosen you and me so that we would realize just how great He is. You this morning are made to know greatness. You this morning are made to know God. And that's why you can go and fill your life with whatever you want. It can be the best thing. It can be the best hobby. It can be the best charity work. It can be the whatever. You don't necessarily, we think about filling your things, vileness, drugs, sex. We think about all of those. You can go fill your life with the best of things. And nothing will satisfy you until you know Jesus. Because you were made for greatness. You were made to know God. You see, the whole Bible, everything from before Matthew, even after Matthew, the whole Bible tells the story of God's awesome pursuit of me and you. It tells this story of this God who is awesome in patience. It tells this God who in His awesome patience and love, He lets His creation get warped out of place. He lets them go to the end of their choice just so that He can come and bend it all back to Himself. And the chief way that God has chosen to redeem the world is amazing. He could have started over. He could have come in an easier way. But God chose to redeem the world by sending His Son. This is why we say Oxford Baptist Church is all about Jesus. We love Him. We adore Him. We worship Him. Because He's the one who was sent by the Father, came in the flesh to redeem us. And the way that He redeemed us was by giving us the very Spirit of God. That's what He chose to do. This is why... It's all about God through Jesus. The one through whom the Father created came to take on His creation, to take on flesh, so that He could bring us, His creation, back to glory. And that's the good part of the story. It's the good part that you and I will never get over if we truly love Him. That He, out of His choice, chose you chose me, chose to redeem us. Why? Because He loves you. One reason. God, infinite, perfect, holy, loves you. And listen, He didn't just say, man, I should have loved you. He demonstrated His love. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about Genesis. In your mind, go back to Genesis. I encourage you, go back and read it again. Thinking about Jesus who's coming. Think about in Genesis. Look how quickly in chapter 3 we go from the fall to the good news of God's promised redemption. God lets us go 15 verses in Genesis chapter 3 before we get to the promise of a brighter day, a day that is coming through this one who's going to be born from the seed of a woman. And then he comes to us. 
And the first thing that we see him doing when he comes to us, what's he doing in the text? He's being baptized. First thing that he does is he's baptized. And he shows us then that he doesn't just come to stand over us. He doesn't just come to stand far from us, but he chooses to stand beside us. He chooses to come near us without ceasing to be what He was. He became what He was not in order so that He could make us what He is. That doesn't mean that we become God like the Mormons teach. What does it mean? It means that our lives are eternally wrapped and folded into His own life. That's why we live forever. With Him. Not away from Him. That's death. We want to live with Him. Look at what happens in the text. Jesus came. Again, I can't overemphasize this enough. He came out of His free choice. And that in and of itself is something that no one here can say that happened to you. No one chose to be here. My son, as precious as he is, his little one-month-old life, He did not choose to be here. Matter of fact, he was a day late. He'd rather be where he was. We chose for him to come. Same is true for me. I didn't choose to be here. I just know, hey, my mama tells me, I don't remember the day, but my mom tells me there was a day at whatever time in the morning that I came, was born, and then she reminds me that I was a very fussy baby all the time. She reminds me that I was a colicky baby. I don't remember that stuff, but it happened. Jesus, though, he comes freely. As well as, what else does he come? He comes according to the way that God had been preparing us for all along. Look at this phrase in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. This is, this is so amazing. Look at this phrase in verse 15. Jesus comes to John. John says, you're coming to me. I need to be baptized by you. And then look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for, look at this. Who to fulfill all righteousness? Us. What? How in the world is John and Jesus going to be the ones fulfilling all righteousness? Jesus came in order to fulfill the law. Jesus is the fulfillment and He is the longing of the Old Testament. He is the hope and the fulfillment for time itself. And I just want to ask you, just before we go on, is this the way that you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible as just this, some collection of some little cute little stories that you put your babies into bed at night, you know, about, uh, you know, there's some you don't want to read your kids. I, I mean, I'm reading Judges in my quiet time. You know, there's some stories, you know, we're, we're going to leave those out of the children's version of the Bible. We don't want the story of the, the lady, you know, driving the pent peg through the guy's forehead. You know, we don't want killing him. You know, we don't want that stuff. Gives him milk to put him to sleep. No, it sounds terrible. But hopefully when you read your Bible, you read every story in light of this story, Jesus. And listen carefully, that's really the way that that Jesus wants you to read your Bible. In light of Him. That's what He taught us to do. And aren't you glad, by the way? It makes things so simple. When we read about this lady putting a stake through the head of this guy and and killing him for the sake of Israel, we want to know not about that, 
We want to know how that, some way, teaches us about Jesus. And aren't you glad that God really made it simple for us? There's one scarlet thread running through every page of Scripture. And in the Bible, God, in every story, God is telling the same story. What is that story? He's telling us to hope in Jesus. He's telling us to believe in the Son. This one who is coming, and He's coming to taste death for all men. And this is why He came to be baptized. Even at the beginning of His ministry, He's telling the story of His death. Think about it. There is nothing but death underwater. Nothing but death. Now, some of you are smart, Alex, and you say, well, you know, I can have an oxygen mask and stay underwater. Well, listen, if you stay underwater too long, you get hypoxia in your blood. And you, you, don't argue. Just trust me. There's nothing but death underwater. This is why when, you know, I make jokes, when people want to get baptized, we say little jokes, right? We say, oh, I'm not going to hold you under too long or just till the bubbles come out. You know, we make these jokes. Why? Because there's nothing but death under that water. And then the Bible says, and look at this, in verse 16 of chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And most of us just go by that and we think, of course, immediately. Who stays underwater? No one stays underwater long. But I think Matthew's bringing us a point there. Why does Jesus come out immediately? If the water represents death, Jesus comes out immediately. Jesus has come to undo death. Now, what happens when he comes out of the water? Look what happens. Jesus was baptized immediately. He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he, look at this. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Then what happens? And coming to rest on him. The Spirit descends and rests on Jesus. He's not filled with the Spirit. Listen carefully. I want you to just make this point in your mind. He receives the Spirit. Many men in the past had been filled with the Spirit. Remember Samson? He was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit would let him accomplish this great deed. The Spirit would leave him. David prayed, Psalm 51, Take not your Spirit from me. You know why? Because that was something that could happen. But here with Jesus, He doesn't just be filled with the Spirit in that sense. He receives the Spirit. None of them in the past had had the Spirit rest on them. And if we were to go back to Genesis again, think about where we see water in Genesis. Go back to chapter 6. Something horrible happens. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, man rebels against the reign of God as king. It has reached a climax by the time we get to chapter 6. It's so bad that Genesis tells us that every inclination of the thought of man was nothing but evil. And so listen to what God says in Genesis chapter 6 in verse 3. Listen to what He says. Then the Lord said, this is important, My spirit shall not abide with man forever. His flesh in his days shall be marked at 120 years. By the way, if there's any students in here who are psychology students, you can go and look that up. The average lifespan of men today, we don't have anyone living over 120-something years ever. That's a great mark for you. And so what does God say? He says, my spirit is not going to dwell with man forever. And so what do we see? We see the devastation 
in our world from this change that the Spirit brought because He's not now dwelling with men. But now, what does Jesus do? And this is a sermon in and of itself. What does He do? He goes through the waters and then He receives the Spirit. Remember, before the flood came, God took His Spirit said, I'm not going to dwell with man. Deluged the earth. The flood waters came. Everyone died except for one family. Now, Jesus goes into the water. Then what happens? He comes from the water. He receives the Spirit. Now the Spirit is poured out. Instead of withheld, through Jesus, the Spirit is poured out. Without the Spirit, there's death. But with the Spirit, there's life. This is why Jesus is doing what He's doing in the text. This is why we're going to continue with Him all through Matthew. What's He going to do? He's going to teach of this better way to live. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to heal lepers. He's going to make the blind see. He's going to raise the dead. What's He doing? He is reversing the curse. He is taking everything that man did in the beginning and undoing it in His own self. And then look at what happens after the Spirit descends. Verse 17, a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now that's a reference to Isaiah 42. And I wish I could tell you more about Isaiah 40 through 66, but listen to what Isaiah 42 says. This is how it opens. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint. He will not be discouraged. Until he has established justice over the face of the earth and the coastlands that are waiting for his law. What's he doing? He's pursuing man to make all things new. And listen carefully. Because he is king, nothing can undo him being king. And he will not relent until the whole earth recognizes him as king. Number four this morning. God's kingship will be known. Will be. There's one final thing for us to mention from this passage. Notice what John says about Jesus when He comes. What does He say? He says in verse 11 of chapter 3, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one coming. He's mighty. I'm not worthy to even touch His feet. He says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and then look at this next phrase. What's He say next? Fire. Then he says, his winnowing fork in his hand, he'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. But notice what John says about the way the Messiah will come with fire, and notice the way that Jesus the Messiah came. He came with the Spirit. What does this mean? Listen closely. It means two things. It means salvation is here. The second thing that it means is judgment is coming. Salvation is here. Judgment 
is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here and yet not yet here. It is inaugurated, but it hasn't been yet consummated. And so this time that we're in right now, this time between the times, between His first coming and His second coming, is a time when on His second coming He will purify the earth of all wickedness, all vileness, all sin. But until He comes, the time that we're in right now is the time for repentance. The time that we're in right now is the time for everyone to confess Him as Lord. Listen carefully. This is why we preach what we preach today. This is why we preach good news of God's forgiveness in Christ. This is the reason. Because today is the day of salvation. This is the day for salvation. Tomorrow may not be the day of salvation because there's judgment coming. But today, this is the day of salvation. Now see, the challenge that you and I face as Christians is we overlook the fact that today is God's salvation day. You and I, we can be so consumed with the end that it may seem like that we look at our world with eyes of contentment instead of eyes of compassion. But listen carefully. Rest assured, Jesus sees you. And He doesn't see you in contempt. He sees you right where you are today with eyes of compassion. He sees you right where you are today as a sheep without a shepherd. And it doesn't matter how far you've strayed away from Him. It doesn't matter how deep into sin and depravity you may be. Today is your day to confess Him as Lord and Savior. Tomorrow, listen, may not be, but today is. His coming, He has come with a free offer of grace. His nail-pierced hand has guaranteed that the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Today, is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, who knows what tomorrow brings. But we know right now, today, is the day of salvation. So the question for you is, will you come to Him? The question for you today is, is will you come and will you confess Him as Lord and King? The question for you today is, will you continue to confess Him as King if you already know Him? Will you come and search your life and see if you already know Him. Would you see the spots in your life that are hindering you being all that He desires for you to be because you're quenching His Spirit's life? Would you come today? Confess. Turn from that. And turn to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. Thank You so much for Your kindness. Thank You, Lord God, for sending the Son and giving us space to repent. Today is the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow is, but we know one thing. Today is the day of salvation. Thank you for Jesus coming. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Have your way in our hearts today as we, O Lord, seek to give you praise through our worship. Take every heart here, captivate them by how good you are. Captivate them by how great you are. Call sinners to repent today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.